Hey, it's B, back from square one. Regulated, life is still upside down. And as I've been experimenting through conventional and unconventional mental health, I'm reporting back. This time, with good news. Ready to rock, drop, and roll, <laughs> so don't get burnt. The divorce, the jail, the affairs, and my attempt to swing, I mean sing. Our lives will always be on fire, so why not raise the real rays and break the matrix? Maybe this is how it starts, as we unfuck ourselves. Let's find a way out. They don't care about you, so stop giving a fuck about them. Kendra, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. So maybe this is how it starts for you, Kendra. How did it start for you? Tell us a little bit about your story. I know uh, we had the opportunity to connect and um, you've lived a wonderful life. Unfortunately, a lot of ups and downs, but I think you're an excellent human being and I want to transmit that energy and that spirit of just wholesomeness um, across our audience. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I was an only child. Um, I grew up a very... Um, my parents, like most, uh, wanted to portray it like everything was okay. You know, like everything looked good. Um, it was all about what you've seen on the outside. Uh, but both of my parents was alcoholics, but they was alcoholics that was high in society, not in our small town. You know, like my grandma was the clerk. I mean, like everybody knew my father. There was so much shame and guilt surrounding their whole addiction. But like my main thing is I grew up a very lonely childhood. Um, I never learned the proper ways to cope with anything. I mean, my parents both, they was both just running from themselves and that's exactly what they taught me to do. But you don't know that that's, you know, they didn't purposely do that, but because that they ignored their feelings, they ignored mine and they taught me that valuable lesson just to avoid your feelings. And it took a lot, like I was diagnosed with ADHD, um, uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar, uh, borderline personality. I self-harmed at 13. Um, well started self-harming at 13. I was really struggling because I saw, seeked, um, I guess the love and connection in a um, relationship because I didn't have it at home. And that's where, you know, by, I was more addicted to that, just wanting someone to be there, which I think that's what we all want. We all just want someone to be there. But whenever our parents aren't there to show up for us, it's kind of hard for us to ever learn how to show up for ourselves. Absolutely. So was this addiction in your family generational did it come from your grandparents was it inherited mm -hmm. was it just a social norm um pretty much most people in the area was that's how they was um but i feel like you know even if you want to talk about like oh addiction passed down in generations to me it's not the addiction it's the pain it's the lack right. of coping skills to deal with the pain um because whenever my parents was so absent to their own pain, they don't notice the pain that they're causing a, you know, a child that's my, my mom was so jealous. I had to be, um, she left, wouldn't even let me around like my dad, I, but I went to work every day with my dad. Like, so my dad would be passed out and I would be the one that would have to make a pallet in the floor beside of him because I was scared. I was alone. 
And I mean, uh, my aunt Vada would tell me about how I would be cooking at like four and she would come and she would be like, Kendra, what are you doing? And I'm asking her about preheating the oven. It's just a very lonely, but a lot of my childhood is, I don't remember. I don't have no, rec my mom, the broken arms, the, the door smashed. A lot of stuff I do remember, but it's all bad. Like there was never, um, there was never nothing good that I could, um, but I was still, very much my daddy's girl. I remember my dad kicking my mom and her falling back and me saying, and me upset because on her way down, she bit my dad's toe and it started bleeding and she was laying on the floor. And I was just thinking if she would have just shut the hell up, you know, this would not have happened. Like, this is the mindset that, you know, like, but she was just mad. I mean, he's cheating. He, you know, I mean, I don't blame her for being, you know, she was undoubtedly, you know, but that what they didn't realize is all the pain that they was causing the child. And it, <clears throat> it really wasn't the, because it, I had everything taken care of. I had big parties and big Christmases and big everything. But what I didn't have is my parents. And that was what ultimately, I mean, since I didn't have them, I guess you feel like you don't have no one. And it makes you have to live in a life of, complete fear I mean hell you fear everything because I mean everything's scary whenever you don't have backup it's all on you you're you become an adult at 13 at, at a very young age you're absolutely oh. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I moved out whenever I was just um I moved out at th well I started a relationship my dad um him and my mom started their divorce uh, finally. My mom and dad, this is what blows my mind. They was married for six years before they decided, hey, we need to bring a child into this shit. I don't, it just blows my mind that, you know, they, you know, most people that married six years, they've like, mm, this isn't work. But anyway, <laughs> I was supposed to save the day, I guess. But anyway, I did not. I love your minute. I'm not making fun of you. You just, I know. You said it's it. true. It's the truth, though. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Trial and error, six years. Let's have a baby. Yeah. Embrace. Nothing else has worked. Nothing else worked. But anyway, I come, and um, that's whenever my mom, she actually stopped drinking, thankfully. She was sober, stopped smoking. It was the best time of, she said it was the happiest time of her life whenever she had me, but then she had me, and that was overwhelming for someone that doesn't deal with shit. You know, like it was, I get it. Um, but, um, now I don't even remember where I was going. So it's okay. Gonna... So you were telling me that your parents had you, um, six years into their marriage, and then you grew up in a very struggling family structure, but your parents eventually filed for divorce. And I think you were yeah. going to tell me something about, um, oh, yeah. moving out or having a relationship early on in your teens. Mm -hmm. So I relationship my, so of course at 13, I was, um, seeking um stuff that I shouldn't have been I mean I was sneaking out like I couldn't even talk on the phone or nothing so of course that was under my dad he was very um very strict you could like I was writing letters to him even like to go home with somebody a friend at school I would say like could I go on this field trip and I would leave him a note and a pencil because I was so afraid and then I wonder why I'm so afraid to you know confront people for so long I mean hell I wouldn't even I was afraid of him for but he, um, anyway, I moved, um, my mom would let me do whatever I wanted. So at 13, of course, I would go move in with her. You know, she would let me do whatever I wanted in order to keep me there. But 
my dad, he took it offense. You know, that's what pissed him off is, oh, I done this to him. I hurt him by leaving him. And then it was like I was on my own pretty much from like from 13 to 15. I moved out. I started working at 15 um, and I moved in with my boyfriend, supporting him, an addict, of course. I was with him for seven years, but supporting him and his addiction and just ignoring all the clear signs I needed to do something. But at that time, I was still um, going to school every day. Like I still graduated from school with 13 years perfect attendance, a five-year regional scholarship. Like I, yeah, and it sucks because looking back now, it's like I didn't know I had it. You know, I I applied for one scholarship and I got it. And, but at the time, that was just what you done. You don't even realize, you know, how great you are. And now I try to remind myself that every day. It's like 10 years from now, you're going to look back and be like, you know, you're going to be upset because you don't even realize like the greatness that. But whenever we let people around, but my parents, they never did like show up for like my say my graduation. They wasn't at my graduation. They wasn't. um, My mom says she was. She might have been. She was drunk, I'm sure. But they never was there for me. They never said, hey, I'm here. You know, they was there and then just left. I never had no one to say, good job. You're, you know, any, none of that. Like, and it's exhausting having to clap for yourself all the damn time from a young age. It is. It is. It really is. (laughs) Where, where, let's talk about the diagnosis, uh, the multiple diagnosis that you were given at the age of 13. Um, Just to circle back, how old were you and your parents separated? um 12 13 um then I got with a guy that and then he was breaking up with me so I had to I couldn't handle it but he wasn't breaking up with me I cheated on him because he made me upset so this is how this first started so I you know I deserved what it no but because that I couldn't handle shit I that's whenever I started cutting myself um whenever I was 13 and I went to um counseling and they said, why are you cutting? And I said, because I can handle physical pain a hell of a lot better than I can emotional. I said, and they knew, but it's crazy because they was telling me that I was having the stress of like a 30-year-old, like, but that really wasn't telling me anything. I remember them talking about coping skills or, you know, but I was already too stuck in survival to like learn anything new at that time. Like I couldn't, I didn't. You were 30. That's the thing. No, no. <laughs> you were 30 because when you are um, the child of an addict, you compensate and you raise a, an adult. You become the adult and they become the children. By you telling me that you would pick up after your parents when they were intoxicated, that made you an adult at a very young mm-hmm. age. So you were 30. And from what I hear, and I'm not your therapist or anything, I'm just telling you based on my own journey and what my own therapists have told me is that you will not thrive and succeed in the environment that made you sick. So they could have given you all these coping skills, all they yeah. wanted, but if they were going to not take you away from that yeah. situation, they were not going to work. You took yourself yeah. out of that situation. And that's how things change so dramatically. I know we'll talk about that later on is about, you know, then I went on and had kids and I realized that I was doing that same thing. I was leaving them alone with their pain to deal with it because that I was running and ultimately that's what made me be like okay something's got to change somebody's got to heal and I can't expect them to I mean I had to how were you with uh when you how old was this partner of yours that you had at from the from the age of 13 to 15 
Oh, um, well, I was with him from 13 to um, me. I was 2010. I was um, 20. So I was with him for seven years. He was 16 whenever I was 13. Um, but he wasn't on drugs in the beginning, but he, um, yeah, he did. I mean, and it, and he told me years late, he's told me a few years ago, Kendra, I never meant to hurt you. I just knew that I could get, and I was like, I know, I know, but we stay stuck in that because you don't know, like, that's just all, you know, and you don't want to be alone. So you just deal with bullshit because it sucks. It sucks having to try to deal with it all on your own. And before you know it, you're dealing with your bullshit and everyone else's and you don't realize that you're just trying to be there to support them and make them feel better all the while that you're just abandoning yourself the whole time. Did you, uh, were you a victim of domestic violence at any point within the relationship? No, um, no, I, not with him, um, with my husband that passed, um, he done, um, I know we'll get to that. Um, he, um, at the end, he, um, was very, he was more abusive, um, but it was just more mentally. It was completely, I couldn't talk to anyone. I couldn't look up. If you go anywhere, you know, I couldn't talk to people because then it was, who is that? What are they doing? You know, and coming from a small town, whenever you know everyone. So mm -hmm. I completely isolated myself from everyone because I didn't want to hurt him. But really, I didn't want to hurt myself. I was too afraid to piss him off and then him leave and leave me alone. So I realize now, you know, like it wasn't, you know, I can sit here and blame him all day. I mean, he's went two nine months tours in Iraq. He was a Marine veteran. His pain, he went through a hell of a child, you know, worse childhood than I did. So, you know, it's just that pain. And then once he lost his mom, that pain all come out on me. I mean, you know, he was so afraid of losing me that, and then I lost him and that was, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Very hard. During that seven-year <laughs> relationship, do you blame yourself for staying there that long? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can feel it. But let me tell you something. You were only the byproduct of your environment. Mm -hmm. There is no way and no reason that you're at fault at all. Oh, yeah. You know, and I realized, you know, through, the, through all my healing and all this now, you know, I don't blame anyone. I don't even like blame my parents. I have no resentment. My mom lives in my basement. I still take, like, I have none. I still try to go see my dad. Like I went to see him. I will say, okay. So I went to see him, um, two or a year ago. And that's whenever my, my journey really started because I went or really evolved, I guess. Cause I went to see him and he said, um, I opened the door and I just started bawling, like all of that let loose. And cause that was my safe place. So I thought, um, but my dad was the one he paid for my husband's funeral, but he, he wasn't there. And that's all that I ever wanted was him to be, I didn't give a shit about the money. I didn't give a shit about him paying it. I just needed him. But I realized too, that that was my dad's the only way he could show love because that was the only way he was shown love. But he told me I was bawling. It's the first time my dad's probably ever in my life that I can remember ever seeing me cry because, you know, you just don't do that shit. You're just not, you're just taught you're not supposed to. And, uh, but, but I'd done enough healing that I was able to cry and it, it was good. And, um, he told me that he had enough, um, problems that he didn't have time for mine. And I'm like, huh? And I was like, dad, I'm not, it's not that it's just, I'm just here to, you know, I just wanted him. And that 
was it really released me. Like, even though it hurt, it released me because that's the message he sent me my entire life. Like, I have my own pain. I can't be there to support you. But during my whole life, I didn't know that it was him and his pain. I thought it was me and mine. You know, I wasn't enough. I wasn't worthy of him showing up for. So whenever he told me that, like it destroyed, like I went home and I like, whoo, just broke down one of many, many times that I've done. And um, it, the next day it was like this, I didn't get up with the need to like prove myself anymore. I didn't need to prove that, you know, I like I had done so, done a carburetor, changed my oil pan gasket, done all <laughs> this stuff in the past six months trying to go see him, you know, like I was going to show up at the damn resume, like, look, dad, I'm worthy of your love. You know what I mean? Like, that's how mm -hmm. I felt like that I was trying to do. And once I realized I was going to take pictures to go show him at the bathroom, I remodeled and I'm like, oh my God, I really think that that's what I need to do. And once I realized that I'm like, I deserve his love regardless. I just, you know, and then whenever I showed up and I didn't get it, but he did give me the next thing. And that was the release of expectance. So then this past month, uh, Father's Day, I took him a pie and a meatloaf, which is the first time in the year. Because it takes a long time to get up that strength to go face that again, because you know you're going to be hurt. And that, but I was also at the point that I knew my dad was in pain. It wasn't about me anymore the only way that I can help him is by giving him the love that he wasn't able to give himself and that's not a child's role that's not like that is it but that's just the cards that I've dealt so I try to manage them as much as I can um he wasn't there I did give him to his wife well he was in the back and I anyway so his birthday's coming up so we're gonna do this again try to see him but yeah and you can do it from far too yeah Oh, I mean, I can see, you know, like, because I know the power of like, if he can pull out that pain in me, if I'm crying, if something can pull that pain out, I know that that is me transforming. I know it with everything in me because I've done it too many times. I have bawled my eyes out. But the problem is for my whole life, I couldn't, I couldn't access that. I couldn't let myself be weak. Hell, you know, I put on this front that everything was okay. You know, I had it all figured out. I did not. I didn't. I still don't. Shit. I still don't. But it's cool now. I realize nobody else does either. It's not just me. You know, I used to think that. Does he have a relationship with your children? Oh, no. Okay. No. He doesn't have any kind of relationship with anyone. He's so stuck. He, he's been sober now for a year. And his, his wife was like, he doesn't listen to, no, you know, everyone's wrong. He's so stuck in his ways. I mean, he's, you know, he just, his mom and his dad, his dad just passed. His mom is 90 something years old. My dad, he's 70, I think like 71 or something like that. Like there, that he's just so stuck in that, like, he just knows that he was could be in so much he knows like my dad was super smart super intelligent um but he's just let his drinking and everything destroy him and then the shame and guilt of all the life that he had missed and i'm sure he has that so much shame whenever i come around him that's what hurts him it's because i bring up all those feelings and he doesn't know what i know you just have to feel that shit. you know he don't know that <laughs> He just yeah. thinks that you're supposed to bury it, continue to bury it. And I'm the bad person for bringing that pain out. But do you think so? 
No, do you think no. You really think, no, no, no. I'm not saying you think that you are the bad thing that is bringing everything bad out, but do you think that he thinks that of you? Yeah, he definitely. Oh. Uh, because whenever he sees me, I hurt. I make him hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like he's hurting. And because that he is so disconnected from that pain, he sees me and then those tears come, you know, like he had one little tear in his eyes and he's, he can be protected as long as I'm not around, you know, like he's built that wall around himself that I can get through. And well, I know that <laughs> I know. You, you did break him in a little bit. And I, and I say that in a good way. Um, I do. Um, it's, it's definitely really difficult. I can tell you one of the things that I admire, and I think it, it takes only very few people understand. And that is that sometimes in order for you to become a better person, you need to, your advice to leave your village. They say, leave the person, leave your community, leave those people that are making you sick. But because you see and have access to the light and the light, I mean, a recovery, I mean, self-love, I mean, just being in a better place mentally and emotionally and spiritually, if you want to say, because you love your village so much you want the same for them. And in a way you kind of keep going back and forth and you keep getting slapped mm-hmm. continuously and you mm-hmm. refuse to give up. And any therapist will tell you, leave behind what makes you sick, what makes you unwell. Yeah. And I and did to an extent. But and I healed myself back up, you know, like, and I get to the point, like, you know, I can tell a hundred percent difference in the person that I was whenever I went to see him the first time or say um then the person that I went to see him last time because he could no longer hurt me the same way because that I let myself feel that there was no way that um whenever I went to see him this last time I didn't cry or you know like whenever I talked to his woman or like whenever he wasn't there um I didn't because I was there just to show up for him. I wasn't expecting anything at that point from him. You know, I didn't expect anything from him because, I mean, he's, I mean, I can expect him to be him. You know, like, that's how I, like, dealt with my mom. My mom, like, shit, she was running up the stairs. She was screaming at my door for, like, 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. I still let this woman live with me. Um, she was just in her own pain. Like, she was... Ooh, she was running from her stuff and it was me and she come out every insecurity, everything that I could have. And I sat on the other side of my door bawling. Um, a few weeks later, it might've been months because usually after that, you know, I had, won't have no contact with them at all for a while. Um, but um, I walked down there to hand her something and she said, Kenra, I would have never hurt you. And I was like, mom, if I would have opened that door, I would have killed you. And I knew, and she knew at that point that I wasn't, worried about her I mean she's 60 something she's she's very frail because she don't do but um I was like mom there was no way that I could have opened that door the amount of pain that you know she was causing me in that moment so like I was but now she's been sober six months um she's never been she's never been sober at her she's like Kendra I've never had a new year's eve sober but um it's it's beautiful to be able to see that because most you know, if you would have said, oh, well, I should just distance myself, which ideally, no doubt I should have, you know, at the time whenever I wasn't, you know, as opposed to avoiding myself and avoiding being there for my kids. Um, it was that pain that I guess really realized that 
what I was doing. It wasn't just like, cause me trying to fix her or me trying to fix anyone who I'm not fixing was me. And then, but now that I'm to the point, like I can be there and I, but most people, you can't, it will destroy, it will destroy you whenever like, like I would have to block her text or block anything for a while. And eventually she comes too. but I realized that a lot of parents, you know, they, what, you know, they wouldn't, you know, they will continue, which my dad might be, you know, like that. But I know on my end, I've done my part, even if, you know, I just show up for his, but I don't go out of my way to make sure that he knows that I love him and he knows that I'm worthy and he knows, no, you know, I don't do any of that anymore, but, um, I definitely, um, feel like that I should have, but I didn't really have no support system. Like, I know we haven't discussed like my husband, like him passing, but like whenever he died, I had distanced myself from everyone already. So whenever I lost him, whoo, who I just had my drunk mom. She's living on my back porch at one point because she didn't want to come in. It was Christmas. It was winter. And she's outside because it was all about her. She thought that's how she was helping me. Oh, it was a mess. It's hard. It a- I know. It's, it's, it really is. It really effing is. And, and it's, I'm, I'm happy that your parents are sober. Hopefully it's a new chapter in their life. I know that brings its own pain. And I think we talked on our prequel call of how people leave their addiction behind, but they never leave their pain. And to me, that was, that was breaking ice because I also, while I didn't really grow up a long period of time with, with a parent with an addiction, I did grow up with a parent who never sees that pain. And so a combination of a marriage um, that was interesting. Obviously, my story is not like yours. I'm, I'm a very lucky girl or women, um, but I can definitely relate to a lot of that. And sometimes it, for me, it was a generational curse. You know, it does come from mm-hmm. previous generation. It does come from an environment. It, it comes as a method of, of coping mechanism, of migrating, of stories, of loneliness, of being on the road by yourself, of really not having a family that's present. You grow up, your, you raise yourself up. It's between you and rocks, just the country road. You're doing whatever you want. And what do you learn? You learn to drink at a very young age. You learn mm-hmm. to smoke at a very young, early young age. And so you, you move countries, you migrate into another country and, and you don't have family and it's just you in the bottle. So then when you build a family and you're still on the bottle, you bring all those problems mm-hmm. into a relationship, to a family, into family dynamics. And my upbringing in comparison to my the rest of my siblings is definitely different because they were not exposed to those habits. Like they didn't live a day-to-day like I did until I was six, but they did definitely leave, live with the aftermath of just having parents that were emotionally unavailable because they were struggling. I don't blame them whatsoever. It's more of like they were also on survival mode. They had to Mm -hmm. pay the bills. Mm -hmm. They had to move quickly to pay rent, to buy a home, to provide for their family, to make sure that they had a car. And just like you, I, I was the kid who always had more financially. You know, so I never lacked anything physically or financially, but I, I missed my parents. Yeah. And we don't really realize that um, how much that we can have the world and um, not have our pan- parents. And that's that strength that we need. I realized that like money was not. And that's where we want to get so caught up in thinking that that was um, 
what was going to save us like that was going to fix everything. And I think that my dad found money in, you know, that um, was his security. That was his worth. And um, I was never, I was never like that. I just wanted them. And I think that that's why, you know, it was so hard for me to, um, or so where I would want to constantly be in like a relationship just to feel that, to feel that void, that um, emotional void that I, my mom told me once that I told her whenever I was in eighth grade that whenever I was with my boyfriend that he makes me feel safe. And for a kid, you know, now as an adult looking back and thinking that, you know, that's huge because that's all that we really want to do is feel safe, it's safe enough to feel our feelings, safe enough to be able to just express ourselves. That's all we want. And I was never given that um, my whole entire life. So like I knew after having kids that it wasn't um, after their father died and I tried to by their love, I guess the same way that I was taught to love, you know, or I was shown love by show up, you know, was getting them switches, getting them everything that they wanted. And then a year later, we're still in the same spot. Nobody's mm -hmm. grieved. Nobody's done anything. All we've done is covered it up. And like my first um, year following his death, I had 1500 items from Amazon. Like, hell, I didn't even know what was coming. You know, like, like, that's all money ever done whenever you're in pain is give you an escape route. It lets you easily find a way to cover it up. And that's what I done. And it really, my mom was like, Kendra, so what are you going to do whenever you're broke? And I was like, I'm going to sit here and color. You know, I would finally <laughs> not have to deal with people, you know, because there was so many, so many people around, you know, like mm -hmm. whenever money brings people, man, all kinds. Mm -hmm. It sure does. But, <laughs> mm -hmm. It but, sure does. And they bring drama and all their problems. And I was there to fix it because that's what I done. I fix shit. But hmm. yeah, so, so eventually. Yeah. Go ahead. But no, but I, I you know, I really hope a, a successful journey for your parents. I think they deserve it. And hopefully you get to build a relationship with them. Not that they don't drink, but that's going to be a journey on their own. That's it, folks. Maybe this is how it starts for you, I, and anyone else in our journey. Hope you like this content. Please follow, download, and share. Hope you had a great one. See you next time.